In Denison, Texas, in 1951, I think January 23rd, a little baby boy was born. He was born to a family of, uh, I think, German immigrants. And he had a relatively uh, normal childhood, grew up there. His family is a member of the Waffle Street Methodist Church. Went to high school there. He played the flute in high school. I think he was the president of the, uh, the Latin club. He had a sister named Mary. Mary said that even as a kid, he would, this little boy would build aircraft carriers and airplanes. He was interested in aviation at an early age. At 16, he learned to fly. He was interested, you know, there's a, uh, airfield there west of Sherman and Denison that was a military base back during World War II, and he used to see the military planes taking off, and that's where he got, in, got interested in planes. Went to high school, uh, graduated, was accepted into the U.S. Air Force Academy, class of 1973, went on to have a career in the, in the Air Force glider program, and then he went into, uh, he, like, where most uh, commercial pilots come from, the military. He went into commercial aviation. He was a pilot there. And uh, he did that for, oh, up until uh, about eight years ago, I think. So he was in that for a long time. And he was really active. He was active in the safety board with his union. Uh, he helped write policies and stuff. He was, although nothing fancy, he was, he was active in the aviation industry. And then one morning, actually one afternoon, he was flying U.S. Airways Flight 1459, and they took off out of LaGuardia Airport about 3.24, I think. And three minutes into the flight, he radioed that they had hit birds and had taken out both engines. And uh, the uh, flight controller said later, he understood what he said, but he said, come again? He said, we've lost uh, power in both engines. He said, you're cleared to return to LaGuardia. 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 And there was silence for a second. He said, can't do it. So they were trying to figure out where else he could land. They continued to climb for a little bit because they had enough airspeed, but then they began to lose airspeed, and they began to go down. And uh, over to the to his right was Teterboro Airport. And so they were going to go over there. Their traffic controller called them and said, you're clear to land on runway one, whatever. They stopped all the other incoming and outgoing flights. And uh, the pilot comes back and he goes, can't do it. So we're going to be on the Hudson. He said, come again. And there was silence. And finally, I guess the flight controller for maybe Teterboro said, I think he said he's going into the Hudson. In three minutes and ten seconds, I believe, from the time they hit the, the, uh, the Canadian geese, they made a perfect landing in the Hudson River. And 155 people were saved. I think there were five serious injuries, but I don't think any of those were life-threatening serious injuries. And in a little while, boats had come out there and pulled all these people off their plane. And you've probably seen, you probably remember seeing that on the news back in uh, 2009, almost 10 years ago. The guy's name was Chelsea Sug, uh, Chesley Sullenberger, and you may have seen the movie Sully. And it is amazing. Someone said that that is the most perfect ditching of a plane in aviation history. He said later that he knew that he had to go down with those wings perfectly level because if one wing had been down and hit that water, it would have just spun that plane and, and killed everyone. And you're going, why is he telling us this story? I'm telling this story because in the time it took me to tell the story, they hit the geese and he had made a perfect landing. 
I ran across an article recently on the internet, an aviation site, said five things you should never do in an emergency. And of course, this is talking about flying. And I'll go over those five points. But as I was reading this, I got to thinking about it. I said, you know, all these five things apply to Christianity. And so that's what gave me the idea for this lesson. And that's why I told you about, uh, about the uh, Flight 459 that crashed in the Hudson. The first thing that pilots or Christians should not do in an emergency is to panic. Panic is a strong, sudden feeling of fear that prevents reasonable thought and action. It often causes wildly unthinking behavior. The last thing that that pilot needed to do was panic. You can go on YouTube and you can listen to the recording between them and uh, air traffic control. And to listen to him, he just sounds like he's serious about his job, but you detect no panic, no fear. I don't know what exactly is going through his mind. But you can't tell it listening to the recording. He was all business. As soon as uh, they lost uh, the the uh, both engines, Sully took control of the plane, and his uh, co-pilot immediately started going down the checklist to restart the engines. Rather than panic and do stupid stuff, they kept their cool and did what they were supposed to do. The first thing that we don't need to do in any kind of crisis that hits our life, is to panic. The reading that Matthew uh, read, Jehoshaphat was a king, and all of a sudden all these armies gathered together and were going to come in and overrun them. And, and we'll talk more about that later. But there at the end where God's speaking through his prophet, he says, he tells the people, he says, position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. He tells the people to stand still. The first thing that we don't need to do when crisis strikes our life, whether it's a cancer diagnosis or a divorce or a job loss or marital problems or teenager problems, whatever it is, we don't need to panic. That's when we're going to do stupid things. And we can look back at family members, co-workers, even our own lives, and we can look back, and a lot of the stupid things that we did was when we freaked out or panicked or got out of control. The first thing you don't want to do is to panic. It is not the end of the world. And if it is the end of the world, as Christians, what are we going to do? We're going to go and be with Jesus. We sing songs about that all the time. Even if it were the end of the world, we don't need to panic. Like animals, we have a flight or fight instinct. And that comes in really good when we're in a dangerous situation, like a, a wild animal is going to attack us or maybe a, a person's going to attack us. We either need to fight back or we need to run. But unlike the animals, we can control that instinct. It, it's, it's a lie for a Christian to say, I just can't control myself. Sure you can. You just don't want to control yourself. There's a book called Love and Respect, and he talks about uh, marriage and getting husbands and wives and getting along and everything. And I think, I mean, this may sound overly dramatic, but I think he points out in the book, he says, if someone put a gun to your head and said, stop that, you could stop it, couldn't you? You could control yourself because you don't want to get killed. The problem is, oh, I can't control myself. Sure you can. You just don't want to. As Christians, 
we're responsible for our actions and our thoughts. We can control ourselves. The first thing to do in in a, a bad situation is to not panic. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, Paul says, There has no temptation taken you. You are not going to find yourself in a situation that countless thousands of other people have also found themselves. Some of them have panicked, committed murder, committed suicide, done stupid things that changed their lives forever. And other people, like this pilot, kept their cool and saved the situation. First thing to not do is panic. Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 10, says, God is faithful. What does faithful mean? It means that God can be trusted. You can depend on Him. That's why we sing the song, Trust and Obey. We believe that God knows what's going on. God holds the world in His hands. He's in control. He knows what's best for us. And therefore, since we trust Him, we can do what we're supposed to do. The second thing that we shouldn't do in an emergency situation, the pilot shouldn't do in emergency situations, the soldiers shouldn't do, is to rush. Very few situations require immediate action. As a fireman, they taught us to never run on the fire ground. And you think, you know, there's a fire and people are trapped or whatever, or some, or someone's having a heart attack, and you see the paramedics and the firemen, they... They drive up and they get out and they walk. You know why? Because you're not going to save but just a second or two running to the door. But when you start getting in a hurry, you start getting tunnel vision, you stop seeing the big picture and you do stuff like tripping, falling, dropping stuff, forgetting stuff. And now you've made the situation where if you're running to, to save somebody and you trip and you break your arm, now another fireman's got to take care of you. You've made the problem worse. Don't rush. Take things, take things easy. If you don't know what to do, wait. A lot of times when a, some kind of crisis uh, strikes us, we just, we just feel like we've got to do something. Remember the story of Peter when Jesus was transfigured? He went up on the mountain and the only three he took was Peter and James and John. And he was transfigured, and the Bible says his clothing became like bright light. And Peter, silly Peter, says, Lord, let us make a, 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 an altar here, I think is what he said. One, and uh, the Bible says because he didn't know what to say. He just blurted out something and said something stupid. Have you ever gotten mad at your wife or your husband or your kids and said something stupid that made the situation worse? Of course we have. Don't rush. If you don't know what to do, don't do anything. Have you ever been in a business or seen things in the government where something happens and then a manager or president, whoever, they come in and they start making rules and they make the situation worse. They call that a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, we got to do something. Let's, let's make this rule. And everyone's sitting there and they go, oh, that is so stupid. You know what? Knee-jerk reactions lead to stupid decisions. Stupid decisions lead to regret. Now, business maybe can survive that. Maybe you just got to live with the stupid rule now. But when it comes to churches, families, we can make bigger problems than what already existed. Proverbs 29 and verse 20 says, Do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 14 and verse 17 says, He who is quick-tempered 
acts foolishly. But Proverbs 14.29 says, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And then down in verse 7 he says, A time to keep silent and a time to speak. You don't always have to say something. You don't always have to say the first thing that's on your mind. You bite your tongue, keep it until afterwards, think. If you don't know what to do, if you don't know what to say, wait. Remember we grew up hearing that when you're about to lose your temper to count to ten. Wait. Look at the situation, get some advice, do whatever. Don't do something stupid. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 28 says, Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. You can be the dumbest person in this room. If you keep your mouth shut and just listen, people will think you're wise. And if you keep your mouth shut, you truly are wise. The third thing that you should not do in an emergency is to stop going over the checklist. As I said, the first thing that they did when the the geese knocked out those engines is the pilot took over control of the plane and immediately the co-pilot started going down the checklist to uh, try to get the engines restarted. And they wouldn't restart. And there's a apparently a, a third, some type of engine or jet engine or something on a plane that they can start in an emergency that will, uh, I guess, power uh, a generator so they can have all their controls, have electricity for all their controls, and that too failed. You know, um, when I was a fireman, what a fire engine does, we got fire trucks and fire engines. Fire engines carry about 500 to 1,000 gallons of water, and they have a big pump inside them. And so what you got to do when you roll up to fire, fire engine's pretty much like a truck. If any of you have ever driven an 18-wheeler or something, you drive up, you take it out of gear. Of course, you put the emergency brake on. And then there's a little switch or button you've got to reach down. Usually it's on the left. And you got, once you take it out of gear, you got to wait for the RPMs to go down until it's idling. You got to switch this switch. And what it does, it takes a transmission so the power is not going to the wheels, but now the power is going to this water pump. And you got to wait a second. You switch that switch, and you wait a second, and you watch the RPM, there'll be a little bit of jump. No, I think you got to put it back in drive, and then you see a little jump, and then you can get out, and you can chalk the wheels, and you can operate that engine, the, the engine from outside. You can turn a knob, and it'll just throttle up like someone's in there revving the engine, and you can pump 1,000 or 2,000 gallons a minute you know, off the big ladders you see. You can operate, use this pump. Now, that sounds pretty easy. Put it in neutral, switch the switch, put it back in drive. Now you can do it right. But you drive up and you got fire blowing out both ends of the house and you got people that are trapped and you got people that are running out of the house and you got other fire engines coming up and you got the battalion chief shouting orders and you got a guy halfway down the block that's hooking up a hose and you got to get out there and hook up that hose to your engine because you got water coming. You got all this radio traffic. You got firefighters from the other engines that jumped out. They've already pulled hoses. They're fixing to go in the house. And it's real easy to get flustered and forget that little sequence. And we had a captain. He said, if you ever screw up, you get out 
and it's not working, get back in, put it back like it was, and start over from the beginning. Don't try to go backwards. Just start over from the beginning and go down the checklist. Make sure you've got everything done right. That's the quickest way to fix the problem. And we as Christians, when we get into a bad situation, we're on the verge of divorce, we lost our job, we got a cancer diagnosis, problems in the church, we need to go down the checklist just like the pilots did. What is the the uh, Christian checklist? Well, since most problems involve people, let's just go down the checklist for dealing with people. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Jesus says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What he's saying here, of course this is under the Old Testament. What he's saying here is when you go to, to worship God between you and God, you make things are, sure things are right between you and your fellow Christian. And you go take care of that first. Usually we think if someone's done me wrong, they need to come and apologize to me. This says... If someone's mad at you, go get it straightened out anyway. Have you done that? Or do we just gossip and tell him, did you hear what he did to me? I cannot believe he treated me this way. Can you believe that? Go down the checklist. How are we supposed to deal with it? Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. says, uh, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And then he goes on, he talks about loving your your enemies as yourself. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, or uh, 15. I think I wrote down the the wrong one. I know I did. Um, if our brother has offended us, we're supposed to go and talk to them alone, just the two of us. We're not supposed to go tell the church. We're not supposed to tell our family. Not supposed to get on Facebook and tell how someone's mistreated us. Just me and them alone. If they won't hear me, then we're supposed to take two or three witnesses. And under the Old Testament, you always had to have two or three witnesses. If they won't have the two or three witnesses. Then you take it to the church. And he says, if they won't hear the church, then let them be as a healing to you. What do we like to do? Well, we like to jump to, to number two or three. You know, We like to get everyone involved. Did you hear what they did to me? Well, did you talk to them about it yet? Uh, no, I, I can't talk. Go down the checklist. You're going to mess up if you don't go down the checklist. Ephesians chapter 4 and 26. Be angry. But don't sin. I'm sure that pilot was scared. I'm sure inside he wanted to freak out. But he still had to control himself and do what needed to be done. As a Christian, you still got to control yourself and do what needs to be done. Don't, don't get mad or don't sin when you get mad. Next on the checklist is, is verse 31. Let all bitterness, 
wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ forgave you. I want to ask you a question. Would you come to church and yell and maybe even cuss at a fellow Christian? Of course you wouldn't do that. We're, we're going to control ourselves. We're going to be kind to each other. Now I want to ask you a question. When you go home, if you wouldn't yell at Yancey, if you wouldn't cuss at Dusty, if you wouldn't slap Eddie, what makes you think that as a Christian we can go home and lose our temper and slap our kids or our wife, we can cuss at them, we can storm through the house, slamming doors, and just make total fools of ourselves. What What is different between Carrie and your wife? Where in here does it say that we can treat our family like that? It doesn't. The way that we act here, being nice and kind and tender-hearted to each other, is the way we're supposed to act all the time. You probably heard me say before that all of the New Testament is telling us to overcome our natural urges and act like Christians. Go down the checklist. Are you losing your temper? Are you saying things you shouldn't say? Or are you being kind to each other? Are you being tender-hearted? Don't stop going down the checklist. Don't do what comes natural or what you feel like doing. Go down the checklist when it comes to uh, getting along. Colossians 4 and verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace that you may know how to answer every man. Sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, we can say the right thing but say it in the wrong way. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12 is what we call the golden rule. Treat others the way we want to be treated. I remember back about the time Melissa was born, I had a job working in an apartment, apartment high-rise. I was in maintenance. And this lady was probably one of the worst bosses I ever had. Looking back, I can see that I wasn't the best employee, so that didn't make the situation better. But I remember I would come home, and I would just complain to him. Oh, I hated that job, and I really didn't like working for her. And the guy that I worked with, he was a really nice guy. He was easy to get along with, but he couldn't stand her. She's a lady I think I mentioned before. Every time she'd come around, Wizard of Oz, Wicked Witch. And I'd go home, I'd complain to Angie, and I'd say, Tell Angie how she was mistreating us and all the things that she did and said. And I just couldn't stand it. And I can't remember now what happened. But something clicked in my head. And I realized that I was treating Angie the same way this woman was treating me. Now, I didn't like it when she treated me that way. And I could see very clearly how she was treating me. I could see all the ways that she was wrong. And I couldn't see all the ways that I was wrong. The Bible says we're supposed to treat others the way we want to be treated. 
So go down the checklist. How are we supposed to deal with problems when they come up? Which haven't covered that real thoroughly, so that's a good idea for an application. The fourth thing that we don't want to stop doing in an emergency is communicating. Remember I said the first thing that uh, those two pilots did, one of them took control, and immediately the other started down the checklist, and they started trying to get things. There's a lot of conversation going on in the cockpit that you can't hear over the radio. There have been other flights where people in the cockpit, you know, there's, depending on the, the plane, there's three or maybe four crew members up front, where they got to... to uh, I read about one incident where two of them got to arguing about whose job it was to do something. I think there was an overseas flight maybe, and the pilot had gone back to sleep and left to control the, the others, and uh, something came up. And rather than dealing with the problem, they got to arguing about whose responsibility it was. And that's, you're risking all these people's lives over an argument? Communications is always a big problem in, in churches and in families. I remember in the fire ground, I mean, the fire service, after a big fire, we'd have a, what we call a debriefing. We'd all get together and we'd talk about the fire and what happened, what we did right and what we did wrong. You know, the thing that always came up was communications. You got all these guys trying to talk on the radio. You got these face masks on. You're breathing this air. It's making noise. You're carrying stuff. You're in a burning building. You're up on the roof. You got everyone talking. And it's hard. As much as they work to design these radios, it, communications is always a problem. Communications is always a problem when there are two people together. Wherever two or three are gathered together, there's probably going to be a communication problem. We don't need to stop communicating. How to communicate. The first thing like we've all already talked about is stop. Calm down and figure out what the real issue is. You know, I would really appreciate if you'd quit leaving your clothes on the floor. Well, I tell you what, I'd be glad to not pick up my clothes out of the floor if you would clean up the kitchen. What do you mean clean up the kitchen? I spend all day, i got four kids, and you're off with work and playing golf with your buddies. Don't start on the golf. Well, I don't get that any time off. Hey, you can have time off any time you want to. I, my mom told me I never should have married you. You're just like your dad. Well, my mom told me I shouldn't have married you either. Wait, 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 wait. What was the initial problem? Does anyone remember? Now we've said things. We've insulted each other. We've hurt each other's feelings. We've opened up old wounds. We've made some new wounds. It's going to take some time to get over this. Now, what was the original problem? Could you pick up your clothes out of the floor, please? Sure. I'm sorry. I'm scatterbrained. Sean needs to pick up his clothes out of the floor. He shouldn't be leaving his clothes on the floor. You know, what I just, that's not communicating. That's just being mean and cruel to each other. That's causing bigger problems. Stop, calm down, figure out what the real issue is. It's not what my mom said about my wife or, or golfing or any, it's not any of that stuff. I would just like to not have to clean up after you. Figure out what you want to happen. Do you want a big fight? You want to make people mad? You want to hurt people's feelings? You want a divorce over clothes on the floor? What do you want? <coughs> Just want the clothes picked up. Figure out what, what you want. 
and then communicate that. Remember that other checklist we talked about? Not getting mad, being kind to each other, treating people the way we want to. Remember all that? We need to be quiet and listen. Time to speak and a time to keep silent. Could you please pick up your clothes out where I would really appreciate that? Help me to keep the house clean. Be quiet, stand still, and listen. We need to remember the golden rule treat others the way we will be treated. Proverbs 15 1. A soft answer turns away anger. I would really appreciate if you pick up your clothes out of the floor. Well, you know what? I would like it if you would clean up the kitchen too. That would really help me. I understand. I'll work on that. But I'd really appreciate it if you could help me keep the house clean. Soft answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 16 and verse 18. Pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. <coughs> Marriages usually don't end over big problems. Sometimes they do. But, you know, like that argument, I just just starts with just a little thing and just spirals out of control. Usually it's just a vicious circle that just goes downhill and gets worse and worse. What you got to do is you got to stop Go back to the beginning and don't go down that vicious circle again. James 1 verse 19, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Someone said that God gave you two ears and one mouth. He wants you to listen at least twice as much as what you thought. Don't stop communicating. And the fifth thing to do, it's going to sound funny, is don't stop flying the plane. (laughs) There is one, I can't remember which one, there is one incident where they went to land and uh, I think what happened, the hydraulic system had, had rusted or corroded or something instead of that, that landing gear coming out quick, slowly like it's supposed to, it came out too quick and when it dam- did, it damaged a micro switch so up in the cockpit, they can't see out there the landing gear, uh, the little micro switch was not indicating that the landing gear was down so they boarded the the landing, and they were flying around for a while trying to work through this problem. And you know what happened? There were some of them saying, uh, uh, Captain, uh, you might want to check the fuel. Well, the captain or whoever, they were so busy with this landing problem, they ran out of fuel. You know what the first sign was that they were running out of fuel? When the engines flamed out. <laughs> and they crashed. Don't stop flying the plane. When you get that cancer diagnosis, when you get fired... We're laid off when someone in the family commits adultery, when teenagers are making your your life hard, when someone dies, life goes on. We've all had those things happen to us, and if we haven't, they're going to happen. When Danielle, the year Danielle was born, I had been to one funeral my entire life, and in six months, I went to six funerals. If your life is easy now, it's going to get hard sometimes. Don't stop flying the plane. You still got kids to take care of. You got a mom, a dad, a husband, whatever. I remember Leah Stoneberger, Stoneberger uh, got cancer, and when she found out about it, it was too late. And even though there was nothing that could be done, she went ahead and took cancer treatments because her boys were in like high school. And I think for two years, even though it hurt her. Even though she didn't feel like it, 
they traveled and did stuff together and made memories. And now she's gone. But those boys will have those memories forever. A mom who loved them and looked out for them. I know another family in the church, and she got cancer, and she was pregnant. And the cancer treatments would have probably killed her baby inside her. She refused cancer treatments, had the baby who's still alive now, and she died. Don't stop flying the plane. Use your brain. Life goes on. Job chapter 1 and verse 20. Remember in chapter 1, he lost everything. He lost his whole family except for his wife. He lost all his belongings, and he was a rich man. Job chapter 1 verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. Don't stop flying the plane. Don't stop living. Don't commit suicide. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, Be faithful until death, and I will give you a crown of righteousness. Revelation 2 and verse 26, Keep my works until the end. Life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. We don't get to get off in the middle. Hebrews chapter 12, after chapter 11, where he says, By faith Abraham did this, and by faith Noah did this. Invert in uh, Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1, he says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people he's talked about, we had all these people who have gone before us and shown us how to live. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Though King James says patience, this says endurance. When you run a marathon, you've got to have endurance. Anybody can run for 10 or 15 or 50 or 100 yards. There are not many of us, if anybody, in here that can run 26 miles. And you've got to have a lot of endurance. I tell you what, when I run, after about 30 seconds, my body is saying, Stop! 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 <laughs> but you've got to run past that feeling. After you run past that feeling, then you get the tired, and then you kind of get into a just, I don't know, routine. And you just got to keep going. Now I realize that in a marathon, only one person wins. But if you stop and think about it, everybody that finishes the marathon wins. That's a, a challenge to run a marathon. You've got to train for a long time and you've got to get really good at it. And then even when that day comes and you start, you got a tough job ahead of you. But if you finish, you win. You did it. You didn't quit. You finished. You may have even beat your own time. You may have overcome some obstacle to do this. You're a winner. Don't stop flying the plane. We've got to keep going through life. I told Angie one time, I said, something bad happened to somebody in the church. I said, you know, I said, we've been really lucky. We've not had anything real bad happen to us. And she said, oh, you mean like your dad dying of a heart attack? Or uh, Elizabeth's baby dying in her sleep? Robert getting hit by a truck and almost killed? I go, oh yeah, I forgot about those. <laughs> if you talk to anybody in here that's got much age to them, 
Everybody's been through hard times. But you've got to keep going. You can't stop flying the plane. You've got to keep going. You've got to run with patience. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says, uh, There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He can be trusted. He can be depended on. We can trust Him. And then we can obey Him. And that's what happened in the what Matthew read this morning, Second uh, Chronicles chapter twenty. All the enemies had gathered together, and Jehoshaphat says, talks to God, says, "We have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Trust and obey." God says, "Position yourselves." Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Five things to never do when crisis strikes our life. We don't want to panic. We don't want to rush. We don't want to quit communicating. We don't want to stop doing the checklist. We've got to keep doing what we got to do. And we don't stop flying the plane. We don't stop living. So, remember these things now before the hard times come. I read a lot of stories about people that were in horrific car accidents or uh, a sporting accident maybe, and they were just like this close to death. And they pulled through, and the doctor told them, said, if you weren't in such good shape when this happened, you probably wouldn't have made it. Now's the time to prepare. You don't wait till the crisis strikes to get your Bible out and start trying to figure out what you've got to do. You've got to learn to be strong now. You've got to train for the marathon now. So remember these things. Study. Be faithful. So when hard times come, you can just get through it. We offer a song of invitation. If there's anything we can do, let us know.